Hi, I'm Heidi Zuckerman, and this is Art Matters, the Aspen Art Museum's program on art here in the Roaring Fork Valley and around the globe. Today, my guest is Ingrid Schaffner, and uh, this is a repeat performance. So yes. if you are watching online and you want to uh, go back and watch volume one or episode one of our conversation, you can do that. Which was so, so long ago, we can't even remember. <laughs> it was when Karen Kalimnik, when you hosted the Karen Kalimnik exhibition that I organized. Yeah. In 2007. So that's what I think. Yeah. I think 2007. Yeah. So... It's nice to be back. Welcome. Your beautiful new museum. Thank you. And Ingrid is here as our curator in residence and is giving a talk tonight on legacy. So um, talk with me a little bit about your first visit to Aspen and then coming now. And of course, we have a new museum. But um, what else have you noticed that's similar, different about yourself, about the museum? Goodness gracious. Um, all right, should I lay down on a couch and you I'll <laughs> answer this question for two hours? Yeah. Um, so, of course, uh, what strikes me immediately is, is your beautiful new museum. Michelle and I walked over yesterday to the old museum, and I can't even imagine that the Karen Klimek show was in there. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, that was such a special experience because um, Karen did the lift ticket, and to be here with her, an artist who loves the magic of snow yeah. <laughs> and winter landscape was just very special. And um, so to come back 10 plus years later, yeah. and um, I've just finished the Carnegie International, an exhibition that I've been working on for three years, just closed at the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh. So um, I'm certainly in a different place with my work. And um, it's nice to have this time to kind of um, decompress and um, Ah, yeah, and, and enjoy Aspen. But I'm so impressed by the museum. It's such a, um, uh, the time that I've spent in it, um, people uh, just, you can feel like people are just sort of dropping in to see maybe uh, one show or come and have some time up on the deck or more kind of concerted looking. You've really made a space for, for art. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it's interesting because Karen is one of my favorite artists, um, and the show, your show that we took, the Karen Klimnik mm -hmm. show, that was the first time we had taken a traveling show since I was here. Uh, we had always curated and presented all of our own shows, and um, I just thought it was a fabulous show, an incredible artist, genius curator, and it was really interesting for me to um, have the opportunity, and, and we've done it subsequently, but very infrequently. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it stands out for me as a significant time in the in the institutional history. Well, I'm honored, and um, that taking that show was really like taking a th like theater because remember Karen had these very specific installations. It was very theatrical in every mm -hmm. way, mm -hmm. and um, Karen is an artist that I invited to participate in the Carnegie International, and again she was uh, did her magic and her theater in our decorative arts collection. Mm -hmm. She did these amazing salon style installations of her paintings, photographs, and she, her new video in a gilded frame in the decorative, Hall of Decorative Arts, so, yeah. And did, did she do a ballet? Oh, and right, how, okay. how could I forget? <laughs> okay. And the ballet! Um, uh, so, um, I arranged for, a, for Karen to meet the director of the Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, and they hit it off over their mutual passion for Marius Petipa, the first choreographer of the Russian ballet who's um, responsible for the repertoire from Swan Lake to the Nutcracker. 
So the two of them are pettipog geeks. And so Karen, um, uh, uh, she, she, she won't use the word choreograph. For her, it's really like a, a ballet appreciation of favorite moments from Marius Petipa, but just heaped one on top of another. It was 15 minutes long. It was opening day. It was in our beautiful Carnegie Theater, which is this kind of gilded jewel box. And I think if you didn't know, you'd just think it was a really bad ballet recital where <laughs> like one chord ballet comes in and then there's a pod to do and then they're all kind of layered on top of one another but if you know Karen's work you know that this is um, something that she's been developing over the years as her ultimate ambition is to uh, stage a ballet from beginning middle to end so this was kind of movement towards that yes she did the costumes the wigs it was very special uh, when Karen was here for the opening, she came to my daughter's ballet class. Oh! Uh, a couple of times, actually. And it was interesting because um, when you do ballet here in Aspen, with the Aspen Santa Fe Ballet, it's a professional company. Mm -hmm. And so the students in the school uh, are expected to um, perform and behave in a certain way. And the parents are too. And included in that is never getting to watch the classes. So the parents uh, would always have to sit outside. And sometimes there would be a glass door. And you would sometimes see the parents like trying to kind of look in. Um, but it was, you know, Miss um, Charlotte was the teacher when she was very little. And then Miss Melanie. And, uh, but I went and talked to the ballet teacher and told her about Karen and Karen's passion for ballet. And she actually let Karen inside of the room and Karen got to watch um, two ballet classes, which I never got to do. So something that even her, that, that the mother could not do, Karen was allowed in. Yes, yes. and then she so, sent, yeah. yeah, she sent my daughter uh, a ballet bag and a bunch Aww. of like ballet things yeah. after, so. But. So I've gone to the ballet with Karen um, and she always sits in the front row off to the either far left or far right and for her, it's the point of view that uh, Degas had when he would go to the ballet because you could see into the flies, you could see the dancers mm -hmm. waiting to come on stage. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's a very particular perspective that she cultivates with her ballet appreciation. Yeah, nice. Um, thank you very much for yeah. your kind comments about the museum. Mm. So it's nice to... It's a place of museum um, joy, as I would say, yes. Thank yeah. you. We uh -huh. just redid our strategic plan and we talked about the idea That sounds not so joyful. Of, Yep. Um, well, we talked about um, cultivating joy, mm -hmm. and so uh, the fact that you picked up on that speaks volumes, mm -hmm. so that's nice. Yeah, so um, that was the ethos for the Carnegie International had exactly one uh, wall didactic, one wall text, and it invited visitors to um, experience museum joy, which is the um, pleasure of being um, with art and other people doing the creative work of interpretation. And um, certainly that's work that we've been, enjoy that we've been dedicating our lives to. Yeah. Yeah. So um, talk a little bit about the process of, of curating the Carnegie. And um, where, did you, where did you start? Uh, so right before this uh, episode that we're filming, <laughs> I had um, three of our young curators here. Mm -hmm. And they just um, collectively curated their first exhibition. Right, and I met so, with them on the other day. Yes. We talked about installation kind of, as they prepare to do the installation of the exhibition of their peers. Yeah, Correct. Work. 
Yeah, and so I talked with them a little bit about how they came up with the theme, um, mm -hmm. but the Carnegie International is, you know, one of the most prestigious shows one could ever curate, um, and so with that, there's a certain, you know, gravitas and expectation as well. So I'm curious about your process and, and how you approached it. So it does come with a, a, a freight train of history. The Carnegie International um, began in 1896. The museum, the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh opened in 1895, so just one year later. And um, it's the oldest uh, uh, it's the oldest survey exhibition in North America, and the only one older is the Venice Biennale, which started in 1895. So it's kind of like the, these kind of uh, Gilded Age Art Olympics. And um, this was the 57th Carnegie International, and uh, my process began by answering an email from Lynn Zelovansky, who was the director at the time, who um, invited me to uh, organize the international. I was at the University of Pennsylvania's Institute of Contemporary Art for 15 years, and it was a great um, opportunity. Oh, I, oh, of course, right, bien sûr. So, um, uh, of course, it was, a, as you said, an honor, and then for myself, um, a sort of great moment to kind of expand my own curatorial horizons, because um, to be able to travel in a way I've never traveled before, and um, I started work on this exhibition in the summer of 2015. It opened in October of last year, so I worked on it a concerted three years, and um, my, um, well, there were sort of, um, uh, sort of many approaches, but one was the idea that the international, um, yes, it culminates in an exhibition, but for me, the whole process, like as soon as I started, I wanted the international to begin. So um, by giving talks, and um, I initiated a, a public series of drawing programs that um, I did, I conducted the first one, and they went right on through the exhibition being led by artists and other participants in the show. So a way of building creative publics around the exhibition even before it began. And, um, and um, sort of confronted with uh, the globe as your, um, the, the, your, your field or your subject, um, and knowing you're not gonna go everywhere in the world, um, I needed a structure for myself to, for the travel and research. And I invited, decided to invite five colleagues in different parts of the field, whether it be geography or like different moments in their own work, um, to each go on a big trip with me someplace new to both of us. Hmm. And so um, they kind of provided the trajectory for our itiner itinerary, and, and I provided the cash <laughs> for us to journey together as... Um, thinking partners. Huh. So th these companions, as I called them, weren't advisors. Yeah. And it was very productive for me because it really got me out in the field in a way um, maybe I wouldn't have been so bold and um, certainly going to places I wouldn't have necessarily thought of. I traveled with Ruba Katrib, who's at the Museum of Modern Art now, and she very specifically wanted to go someplace recently post-Soviet and near the Middle East. So we went to the Caucasus. You know, so, so my Travel for the international was very almost serendipitous because mm -hmm. it, um, but um, um, but it, uh, but then very productive in this kind of way of opening up. But so it means I, I didn't travel, uh, uh, I didn't travel in Europe. Uh, I didn't travel uh, yeah, to the usual places. But mm -hmm. um, and 
the idea of the travel too for me was not um, to go um, searching for art to bring back to Pittsburgh. This is sort of colonial model we know is not contemporary. Right. Um, but to um, have uh, um, a deeper understanding of how the contemporary exists and takes hold in other places. Hmm. And um, uh, so an, an outcome of that, um, of that research was to invite Koya Koya, uh, who is the um, creative director of Raw Material Company in Dakar, Senegal, a, a space of contemporary art and curatorial practice. Um, I invited her as part of the exhibition to curate an exhibition within the exhibition, drawing from the museum's own collection. Hmm. So, um, so somehow I'm now on some little uh, tangent here, but so um, uh, sort of yeah, many operations within the, um, the 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 making of the show. So, who else did you travel, <laughs> travel with, with, and where did you go? Okay, so and. Um, and I just want to mm -hmm. actually pause for a second and say how much I love that idea uh, for, for multiple reasons. One of which is uh, a big part of what we do is travel. And um, like many things, from the outside, they seem kind of glamorous. And from the reality, mm -hmm. they're often sort of taxing. Um, and one of the things about curatorial travel sometimes is that it's, you know, you're usually by yourself mm -hmm. um, and because of the cost or, or whatever. And so it can be like inherently very lonely. Um, so this idea of choosing someone to kind of go with you and then particularly traveling as a woman um, gives, I think, um, from my perspective, an additional sense of kind of... Um, Boldness. Boldness, safety. Confidence, yes. Uh, you know, where mm -hmm. you can maybe go out at night in a place where if you were by yourself, you know, you would only go out in the daytime. Or, you know, um, and I mean, that could be in an American city, too. It, you mm -hmm. know, it's not a, a comment on where you went, because I, I don't know where you went. Um, but then also that idea of um, being able to talk with someone as you're looking, yes. which is so great. Um, because for me, that's like the greatest joy of art um, is looking at it with other people and talking about it. So, and you can certainly do that like post facto, but you know, as you're experiencing it, um, that's an incredible, um, the, the kind of companionship of that, of shared looking with someone who you really respect their eye as well, um, and who you know sees something in a way that, you know, you don't, because no one can ever see, no two people can ever see something the same way. So um, I didn't know you did this. Yeah, so, so um, really, you're, you're so super perceptive. So you um, picked up on both the kind of kind of um, sort of personal motives of um, kind of emboldening myself in the field and mm -hmm. um, making the trips a little less lonely, but um, that um, uh, I, it was also the idea that this um, uh, very ambitious and um, this big investment in this travel wasn't just about something that would just coming to me and then would be somehow expressed through an right. exhibition. And um, I was inspired by the Carnegie Museum of Art is um, uh, under the same roof as a natural history museum. Mm -hmm. And this idea that uh, that model in uh, the field of natural history museums where they're supporting research in the field. Mm -hmm. So that was a kind of um, inspiration for this, uh, this uh, idea of the companions. And um, only one of the five that I traveled with is a, a longstanding colleague, Karen Quoney, from the Vera List Center for Art and Politics. And we've curated exhibitions together. We're 
Um, yes, we already have a, a long-standing creative curatorial dialogue. So um, we traveled in, we went to the Marrakesh Biennial and we went to the Descartes, uh, the Dakar Biennial, and then we went to Lagos um, to experience a mega city of the future as Lagos is. Um, so um, the set, that, I don't even know, I can't do them in order. Bizi Silva, the founder of the Center for um, Contemporary Art in Lagos, Nigeria, who sadly recently just passed away, but um, she received an email from a curator named Ingrid Schaffner saying, hello, <laughs> would you like to travel any place in the world with me? I will pay. And so um, she, the curator in Nigeria, got that email and um, said yes. And we traveled to points in the Caribbean following her um, uh, interest in research and art of the African diaspora. So um, we were in uh, uh, Trinidad, Barbados, Haiti, um, Bahamas, and Martinique. Um, and I learned that there is no such thing as the Caribbean, right? So um, many nations, many languages, many cultures, many histories. Um, with Dorian Chong, who is the um, curator at M Plus, which is, I think it's still yet to officially open, right? M Plus, it will it'll be the- I think so too, but they, had a, they have a show They're doing up. programming yeah. and they have a kind of temporary space. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, yeah. It, they're, yeah. they've been, um, uh, uh, Long conceptualizing <laughs> yeah. what will be the Museum of Modern Art of Asia. Yeah, I mean, starting with the question of what is Asia. So Dorian's been, um, and we were headed to Pakistan, and um, uh, and there were terrorist attacks on Westerners, and so we changed our plans and we went to India, which is a place we both had been. So we kind of broke the rule, mm. but um, I hadn't been to India in ten years, and there was a completely different art world. So that yeah. was uh, interesting too see an experience. With um, Ruba, we went to the Caucasus, and um, with Magali Ariola, who I understand was, um, yeah. you had a, as a curator in residence, independent curator based in Mexico City, we, uh, she was interested in the, um, the um, sort of colonial um, uh, exchange history between um, Mexico and the Philippines when they were both under Spanish rule. Uh -huh. So we went to Manila and Singapore and um, parts of Vietnam. Great. So, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. They were very rigorous. I, I like that you said that these trips are the, when we were in um, the Bahamas filling out, I was filling out my customs form and it said, are you here for bird watching, surfing, <laughs> uh, a wedding, or you know, all these things like, work. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. So, um, I know you have some images. Will you talk us through them? Yes, okay. So, um, I um, think that you were starting with El Anatsui. There was the facade of the build building, the mm -hmm. facade of the museum. I invited uh, the great Ghanaian artist El Anatsui um, to... Genius artist. Yeah, to create a, a sculpture for the facade. Mm -hmm. uh, our building is a... a marvelous, brutalist, um, Edward Larrabee Barnes building, and um, on this sort of severe overhang, um, uh, Elle created one of his incredible works using recycled metal. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, there's a passage that's very colorful, um, that's his sort of signature with the thousands of bottle caps mm -hmm. all joined together. Mm -hmm. 
and, um, and then this reflective material that for Elle very specifically is behind the Richard Serra that stands on our plaza mm -hmm. to open up space behind the Serra. He wanted to kind of bring in light and um, reflection behind it. And then in between, um, Elle talked about how he wanted something, uh, a material that's very everyday. And he said that for him, there's nothing more everyday than information. Uh, so their printing plates wow. kind of um, are, are kind of the sort of filler of this uh, metal fabric, this drapery. And I invited um, El Anatsui specifically because these um, mantles that he creates for, um, uh, for architectures to me are kind of connecting a, kind of the, the, these ambitious global exhibitions. So the first one I had ever seen was at the Venice Biennale mm -hmm. and yeah, I remember that. Um, so forth. So Al created this um, incredible mantle for the facade of the museum. And the, um, the bottle cap element came from Nigeria, but the other parts we um, worked with fabricators in Pittsburgh. So uh, it had, it's truly an international work of art. Mm -hmm. So nice. yeah. And um, then I think there's an image of um, John Rubin and Lenka Clayton, two Pittsburgh-based artists with international careers. They inaugurated the Guggenheim Social Practice uh, series of exhibitions um, in 2016. And I asked them to do a special project for the international. And um, they, after a long process of research, they landed on um, an archive within the museum about the early history of the International when artists would submit paintings for consideration in this prestigious show and um, your work was either accepted or rejected. And so um, the museum kept track of all, 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 both accepted and rejected. So John and Lenka worked with all the rejected titles huh. and over the course of the exhibition transformed these titles into paintings on paper uh, that visitors could take home. So you'll see an image of uh, John and Lenka sitting there painting, and um, it was sort of like a clockwork factory yeah. with the exhibition. And, and Heidi, 4.48, last day of exhibition, they were painting the last painting. The, the titles were in alphabetical order. There was 10,632 titles. Um, the last title, title was Zinnias. And, uh, Amazing. Yep, yep. So, so it finished amazing. right on time. I didn't know yeah. that John Rubin was in Pittsburgh. He's a yeah. really interesting artist. Yeah, with his so. um, conflict kitchen. Um, yeah which closed recently, but um, operated for many years as a takeout food window where um, the, the food would be um, of a, a region where the U.S. was in conflict mm -hmm. with. So it was ever-changing, uh, seemingly infinite cuisines. <laughs> um, so it, Neon House, um, truly the kind of... Um, the heartbeat of the exhibition became work by Alex DeCorta, who I knew from Philadelphia. Alex is a Philadelphia artist. I worked on with him on his first museum show at ICA. And so I invited him to do something ambitious for the Carnegie International. And boy, did he. He built a house out of neon. And in the house is um, a, a giant TV screen. And on the TV, um, are 57, Alex calls them cartoons. And um, in fact, you'll see it's Alex as um, Sylvester the Cat and um, Bugs Bunny and different cartoon characters in these uh, videos of different durations. And um, with Alex's work, there's always many layer of reference to popular culture and 
and an art culture, but then it's all kind of seamlessly in this. They're very. It's it's very emotional. It's very. Um, uh, it, I call it a very sticky work of art because people would go in the house and they wouldn't want to leave the house. <laughs> and it was. Um, it, it it was a um, a beautiful work by Alex. Um, and then. Um, when I moved to Pittsburgh, the first studio visit I had was with an artist, Thaddeus Mosley, who's uh, beloved regionally, but really not known, um, not known nationally even. Mm -hmm. And um, Thaddeus is an artist who, um, uh, during our studio visit, he talked very meaningfully about how the Carnegie International for him really brought um, art from around the world to Pittsburgh. Um, for someone who was not um, uh, traveling himself. And he said that it was in 1958, Carnegie International, he was introduced to the work of Noguchi, which huh. inspired him to start um, uh, working um, abstractly w with wood and carving, which he continues to do. Thaddeus is 92. He's in that studio every day making these magnificent um, sculptures. Amazing. And um, so um, they were very uh, present. Um, uh, both indoors and out, and so that was. And Thaddeus is an artist who the museum has shown over the years and collected. You know, it's not like he's been ignored by the museum. Yeah. But um, he was uh, had a really strong presence in the international. Um, and um, Lynette Yadomboake, uh, the uh, painter of Ghanaian heritage, mm -hmm. a, a British artist, mm -hmm. um, who pa paints black figures from her imagination, um, uh, did a beautiful installation of all new work on um, magnolia colored walls. She told us to paint the walls magnolia. Uh, and um, uh, Lynette was the Carnegie Prize winner for this international. Mm -hmm. So since 1896, an artist wins this medal that <laughs> Tiffany designed, you know, it's very um, 19th century. So uh, she won the medal, and we won. We acquired this incredible painting for the collection. Um, two, um, two figures crouching, about to leap or dance or spring. And um, so um, Tabara Strawn, uh, Bahamian artist, I had worked with at ICA and um, invited him to come to Pittsburgh and talk about doing something for the Carnegie International and. Tavares was very struck by the um, historic building, part of the building, has engraved around the cornice the names of great white men mm -hmm. of uh, art and music and science and literature, and so Tavares took note, and um, he made this proposal to add a register, um, a new register of neon of the names of women and people of color who have contributed to making culture rich. So, um, uh, so we had uh, El Anatsui, this major work on the art museum, and then on the historic building Tavares. So the exhibition really hugged the museum and saturated the museum with contemporary art. Great. Thank you so much for talking us through the show and um, your process. And um, I have to say, I can't remember actually when we met. I know we've known each other for a really long time. 
And uh, there are certain people, when I talk to them, they just make me feel smarter, and you are one of them. Oh, so, Heidi. thank you for um, being here. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks. I'm Heidi Zuckerman. This is Art Matters. My guest today has been Ingrid Jaffner. And, um, yeah, look up the first one, too. You can see what uh, we were talking about a decade ago and what we're talking about today. I'm sure, knowing us, it was um, about how art matters, mm -hmm. because it does. So thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in.